Why did OpenAI decided to actually move along an API strategy when it comes to the distribution of its product? Let me explain in detail. Of course, an API is simply put an application programming interface or simply a software interface that enables other software to actually plug into your own interface to actually sort of enhance their capabilities. The thing is, why did OpenAI pick uh, the API endpoint as a way to actually distribute uh, GPT-3, DALI, and all the other products that OpenAI is releasing? To understand this, um, it's uh, worth a little bit just to go back like a few seconds to the, to the story history of OpenAI, which started as a research lab and then transitioned back in 2019 as a, uh, as a hybrid uh, organization, as you find in in the previous episodes but the key point here is to understand is as those uh, large language models were actually scaled up and uh, you got something like gpt3 openai also realized that uh, those models could be extremely powerful but also extremely harmful and therefore how do you release them now let me actually analyze this thing from both perspectives the perspective of openai which is a perspective that, of course, is telling you that uh, the release of APIs are for simply keep things safer and more controlled for something very powerful like a large language model like GPT-3 and also the business perspective on it. So why uh, I think that, of course, this is more, there is more to it and is also aligned with the sort of business strategy that you can have moving forward. Now, of course, for the initial uh, stage of release of um, the GPT products, the, probably the initial idea was to release them as open source, since the mission of OpenAI initially was that of actually enabling the research into AI, making it accessible to anybody so that anyone could actually benefit for the long-term mission of OpenAI, which is that of reaching AGI or artificial general intelligence. Whether that we reach it or not, it's, um, you know, this episode doesn't matter. What matters is the business logic behind it. And as I said, the reason why OpenAI decided to go and move forward with the API's endpoint, it's because, at least what OpenAI said, it enabled them to actually uh, build more guardrails and a more controlled uh, way to actually release from a distribution standpoint those models which could be extremely powerful. So an API access compared to let's say releasing the, the, the large language models open source meaning release them to the public and then anyone can actually download and start using them together with the source code, the, the training data and everything else. It means that actually you release something on the market that can be downloaded and can be understood in a way that can be also replicated. So, of course, as you can imagine, this might mean that anyone could have used those large language models for good or for worse. So that's one point. So with the API access, again, OpenAI has more control. It can keep things safer. Uh, it can keep the access to those APIs, um, you know, in a limited uh, fashion because if you know how the API work, uh, the APIs work, you plug into the APIs of OpenAI you can uh, plug them into whatever tool you're trying to build and you can do it on a consumption based depending on how many you know requests you're doing to OpenAI 
on the kind of features that you're trying to build on a, on a tool. And those OpenAI requests can be based on usage or for instance, on things like fine tuning when you're trying to actually customize the OpenAI um, foundational model like GPT-3 or DALI to do very specific tasks. Now, this is one side of the story. So OpenAI releases the API endpoint to keep it safer, more controlled and limited to the public so that it can make sure that it's not getting used in a harmful way. Then there is the business side. Of course, if you release something with um, closed access and through APIs, you're actually limiting competition. Why? Well, because of course, if you were to release it open source, it means that you also release the data that you use for the training, the weights that you use in the models, the parameters, and everything else that can actually easily uh, have others replicate uh, these um, you know, this model, because of course in open source, what matters is not much probably the, the code that is behind it, but rather the community that develops around the infrastructure. So that's the interesting part. As I explained in the Stability AI episode, actually what's interesting about when you release something open source is not the mode in terms of the data that you've been using to train the model, is more like for the mode that you generate by creating a larger and larger community around the infrastructure which then gets actually adopted by more and more people so by becoming a standard instead in this case with the, the open AI, uh, api access you actually limit competition because you don't release it uh, uh, open source you actually have the code which is closed you have the data that has been used for the training of those models which is closed and therefore you you also prevent others to to uh, actually copying or you know um, creating something which is similar of course you know, uh, competitors can still look at um, products like ChatGPT and trying to reverse engineer how they've done it, but it, it gets way more complex. So you create a friction in terms of competition. Another key point is about data modes. Uh, as I explained in previous episodes, also a little bit of the difference in different um, kind of business architectures that right now are um, getting released at the AI level. You have, you know, the OpenAI Microsoft partnership, and then you have the kind of stability AI sort of model where it releases everything open source. Now, when you have uh, something like OpenAI that gets released through APIs and on a consumption base, you also get data modes because let's remember each API request that you do goes back to the uh, to the supercomputer, which is hosted on Azure. And therefore it gets also through the foundational layer of OpenAI uh, foundational models like GPT-3 and DAL. Therefore they can use this data also to improve those models. And especially when you're using things like, you know, fine tuning or embedding, embeddings, I mean, you're enabling this ecosystem to grow, but you're also passing a lot of uh, valuable information to OpenAI and Microsoft to actually improve those products quite quickly, but also potentially gain more market shares in the future as they understand how to develop this ecosystem. And then the other point is about control to access. So in this case, of course, as you can imagine, by controlling access uh, on um, on a B2B side, when you access the APIs endpoints of OpenAI, you can also decide who to do business with, and therefore you have more control over the kind of growth strategy that you want to have for the future. And therefore you also have uh, monitoring and uh, you also get over time network effects, meaning that when the data goes back to the OpenAI Microsoft foundational layer, of course they can use this data to actually improve further and further in the products. And then, of course, the last point, which is critical, is about monetization. You know, API endpoints right now, uh, 
might be quite cheap because the strategy of OpenAI is actually to create a standard on the market, expand, uh, you know, expand the market share as quickly as possible. And of course, they have been explaining that uh, the, this is also aligned with the OpenAI mission to make uh, those APIs accessible to as many people as possible. However, on the other side, you can imagine if things change in the future and they will increase pricing, they will change business model or anything else, they can monetize quite a lot on a product which has sort of gained a lot of market shares. So again, here I want to recap a little bit by highlighting how the API strategy is quite effective in various ways. First, in um, actually uh, creating a more uh, safer and controlled experience of the models released and products released by OpenAI, and therefore making it possible to OpenAI to actually keep more control over uh, you know, bad behaviors that might happen due to the use of the underlying models of OpenAI. But then there are also business logics behind it, like you know, the fact that you can limit competition, thus creating friction in terms of competitors uh, being able to replicate what you're doing. Data mods, because you can you know, get important data points when it comes to growing and uh, making sure that those models can get better better. Network effects, because you can actually, uh, as those models get fine-tuned on top of the data that um, other businesses are using by also paying that data, uh, the, the APIs, you not only make money through, through it, but you also gather important network effects. And then, of course, as I said, monetization, where with the API endpoints, you can actually monetize. And while now the APIs are quite cheap in the future, you might you know, increase the margin drastically if you become the standard of the market. On the other side, as I said, of course, a different approach where you release open source, it's much more risky in terms of uh, uh, safety and control over what other people do once this model has been released, open source. But then on the other side, the, the advantage is in the fact that the model open source might become a standard and therefore it might become something uh, that which is ingrained in the architecture of the web. So that's how you know the OpenAI API strategy works so far. Mm -hmm.